This morning we're going to turn our attention to that paragraph at the very end of Matthew's Gospel that Eric just read for us. And if you've got a Bible with you, please go ahead and do that. One, uh, one thing that strikes us as we read this is Matthew and Jesus, Matthew writing about Jesus, they don't leave an option for us to leave Jesus in this category of he's a wonderful, beautiful idea. And that maybe seems like a straw man, but I really don't think it is. I think that if we think about how we think about Jesus, even as how do we gather to worship Jesus, at times I think it's easy for us to relegate him to a good idea. And he is a good idea. This is a great story. And, and he's a great story. But he's more than that. Like, uh, social justice is a great idea. Uh, there are a lot of great ideas out there. And in the question, there are conferences about them, and people gather, and people give lots of money to advance these great ideas. There are even songs about these great ideas. But it's important to note that in Matthew's gospel, so far, when we get to this very last paragraph, unlike many of the other gospels, the disciples haven't seen Jesus yet. That's the way Matthew writes it. Now, have they really? Well, yeah. They, there's other stuff that's happened that we know from the other gospels, like um, Jesus appearing in the upper room and, um, and breathing on his disciples and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. His encounter with, um, with Thomas, where where Thomas wasn't there that first time. And so there's this interaction around that and, and Jesus proves to him that he's really a lot, uh, that he's really there and he's, he's flesh and blood. He's not just an idea or a figment of Thomas's imagination. But Matthew suppresses those stories. He, he doesn't include those stories. And, and as he suppresses those stories and, and leaves us with Mary and Mary coming and seeing Jesus and then Jesus um, telling them not to be afraid but then setting up a meeting for the disciples in Galilee and telling Mary and Mary, go back and tell my brothers about this meeting because they're invited to it and they need to start um, heading that way. The fact that Matthew leaves this as the first encounter makes what Jesus says, say, what he says really pop. And we pick it up in the verse 16 through the first two words of Verse 19, in those few verses, Matthew begins to answer this question, or these two questions, who has Jesus become, and, and how, if at all, does that relate to us? How does that relate to you? Jesus has become something different um, since the resurrection, but he's not just an idea. So how, if he's not just an idea, how does that connect to us? How does that connect to Wilson as we gather here to worship God, as God sets Wilson apart among us? But how does that also relate to all of us? So let's read that again. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted, meaning some hesitated. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore. So Jesus kind of shows them his new passport. Like, okay, there's a lot of stuff that happened, you know, in the last several days that was 
kind of weird, kind of different compared to how you had gotten to know me over the last three years. These last few days have been different. But, but now I'm telling you, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Is that just an idea though? Because it could have been. Like he could have said, um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And guys, thanks for everything. Um, it's, been, it's been good. Like you said some things, I said some things. You know, we, we had a lot of good campfires and we cooked some fish and we taught some people. And there were some, let's admit it, some pretty cool moments um, that we all were able to enjoy together. And this is the end of the line. Like, I'm going to go do all authority in heaven on earth stuff. And you guys, I guess, are going to go back to fishing and, or whatever you were doing. And it's been good. It, like, I know that sounds funny, but it could have been that, right? Like, this is the end of the line. I did some seriously important things. And now I've been endued with this authority. And, I'm, and this is where it ends. That would have left Jesus as an amazing idea for these disciples and for you and for me. But he doesn't do that. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Now, that's something. We've seen Jesus' authority unfold throughout this whole gospel in different ways. Um, we've seen... We've seen... Uh, Jesus claim his authority and demonstrate his authority from the beginning. First of all, before he's even born, we have these angelic visitations. Now that's kind of something different. That sets Jesus apart. Does that have to do with his authority or not? Probably. Like if angels are coming to announce that, that someone's been conceived. But then we see these magi come, right, who have authority. They have wealth. They have power. They have influence. And there's this... Mm, side-by-side -side contrast between the Magi and Herod. And there's all this use of the word king. And, and it's these kings, and it's King Herod, and it's the king of the Jews. And who's the king here? And then we see these Magi opening up all their treasures and laying before Jesus and somehow communicating his authority is different than ours. But then we have all these summaries too throughout Matthew's gospel, like in chapter four, where it says that he was healing every disease and every affliction. It's just these kind of quick phrases that, that, that open up if you use your imagination and slow down, like over the course of a whole evening, a multitude of people were coming through and, and encountering Jesus and Jesus healed all of them. Like that's authority. Jesus' words claim his authority. In, um, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in verse chapters 5 through 7, Jesus teaches this, maybe the most famous sermon in Scripture. Definitely the most famous sermon in Scripture. And at the end of it, what do the crowds say? It says that they were astonished um, because of his teaching. They were astonished for he taught as one with authority not as his own, as their own scribes. Jesus claims to be greater than the law of Moses. He puts his authority against the law of Moses when he says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. So 
as the, the disciples follow Jesus for three years, they're seeing and they're hearing um, indications of Jesus' authority. But maybe most explicitly, right after the Sermon on the Mount, there's this whole rash of miracles that Jesus does that, that run the whole scope of heaven and earth and everything under the earth. It's this comprehensive, it's almost a recapitulation of what Yahweh does in Egypt in the Exodus when he goes toe-to-toe with all these Egyptian gods. Jesus does this right after he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. There's a leper that comes to him and Jesus says, be clean. His words say, be clean, and the person is clean. There's a centurion who comes right after that and says, I've got a servant who's sick. If you just say a word, and Jesus says a word, and then that servant in that very hour is clean. And then they go to Peter's house, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and Jesus heals her mother-in-law. And then it's, there's this whole parade of people who come through with every affliction, and Jesus says words to them, and they're healed. And then they get on a boat, and a huge storm. This all happens in like two chapters. And then they get on a boat right after that. And the storm blows up. And they're like, we're dying here. We're not making it. And Jesus opens his mouth and he says, peace. And immediately, there's a great calm. The disciples are connecting through this, this rapid fire sequence of miracles that run the whole scope of, of human existence and, and non-human existence that... Uh, that when Jesus opens his mouth and says something that, that, that's backed by his authority, it happens. And right after that boat ride, they get to the other side and there are two demoniacs in the tombs. And Jesus says a word to them and, and they're healed. And then they go right from there to this house where Jesus is teaching. And a paralytic comes down and Jesus opens his mouth and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now we can't see that that happened. Can he really do that? Only God can do that. But to prove that he did it, he then turned to the paralytic and said, with his mouth, rise, take up your mat, and go home. And the guy did. So this Jesus demonstrates this authority, particularly with his words. And, and things happen. But then those last few days before this encounter at the end of Matthew, he's stripped of authority, it looks like. It's weird. It's like upside down. He gets arrested by some Romans. And then he gets taken in front of the Jewish council of, of, of high priests. And they have their way with him. And then they send him to Pilate. And then Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod sends him back to Pilate. Pilate sends him to the crowd. The crowd turns him back over to the Romans. And he's crucified. Like it, it doesn't look like he has authority at all. And so when they see him again for the first time, and he says, he's alive. And he, and he says to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he opens his mouth and he says to them, go therefore. You see? Like how that's connected to all these other times that Jesus, God, has opened his mouth and addressed a thing or a person, and said something. So for you, and for me, and for Wilson, like, Jesus is an amazing idea, but he's not just a great idea. He wasn't a great idea to that leper. He wasn't just a great idea to that centurion. He wasn't just a great idea to Peter's mother-in-law and all those people, or the storm, or the two demoniacs, or the paralytic. Jesus opened his mouth and said something to them, and then Something happened. 
And he, he turns to Wilson, he turns to you and to me, to these disciples, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. We're not going to spend a ton of time in the middle of this passage. I think as we celebrate Easter and as we celebrate God's um, setting apart of Wilson, I think it's wonderful to just think this is a person who tells us to do something. He invites us into his work. And he tells us to go and he tells us to make disciples all over the world, in every culture. And he makes this promise at the end, and we're going to kind of skip down to that. He makes this promise at the end. He's make disciples of all nations. How do we make disciples? What does that even mean? Well, we do two things to make disciples, and they hang under that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And the only thing I, I think we can really spend time on today there is it's, it's interesting if you think about um, making disciples is baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so what does that really mean? It's shorthand for something. Go into all the world, into every culture, and persuade people to bring their allegiance under the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Live your life among people in such a way as they are they change their allegiance from whatever their culture, whatever they've been baptized into by birth and by experience, have them change their allegiance into the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are so many different ways that we do that. Introverts do it differently than extroverts. People in different vocations do it differently. It's so wonderful to see how Wilson does this. I mean, he spends time with people. He just is slow and steady building relationships and building trust. It's not flashy. It's not, he's not the loudest guy in the room, but he is so consistent and caring and evokes trust. And, and the two adults, by the way, that we've seen baptized at Incarnation over the last two years are people that Wilson's been having coffee with, not me. So however that looks for you, Jesus is, with all of his authority, telling you and telling me, whatever, however this works out for you, go and persuade people to be baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's going to look different for all of us. And then this other one, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. I think the interesting thing there is it's not just teaching them to understand or to give mental assent to something. It says teaching them to observe. It's like a three-legged race. You know, you, you're, you're helping to retrain someone in how to walk. But this is the thing that I want to spend time on as we close. This promise that Jesus makes at the end. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm telling you to go do something that's scary. I'm inviting you to go do something that, well, you saw how it kind of ended for me. Like, this is going to be bad. This is going to cost you. But I'm going to be with you always to the end of the age. And there are two parts of that promise that I want us to think about. One is, he's going to be with you, so go do it. Like, you better go do it. We can't sit around. We have to go engage this somehow. But he's going to be with us. 
Since he's going to be with us, we should at least try. Like, spend some time praying, God, who's around me that I can spend time with, that I can obey you this way with regard to? But the other part that maybe we don't think about, and I've never heard this in an evangelism sermon. I, I don't like evangelism sermons. It's like going to the dentist and talking about flossing. Like, <laughs> like I, I know, I know I don't do this enough. Thank you. Just clean my teeth. But there's this other part of, of this promise that, that, that's, that's there. It's just quiet. He's with you, so you don't have to try that hard. Like, you have to try. But he's with you. So if he's with you and you're trying to persuade someone and they're not having it, that's okay. Like, if me and Jesus couldn't do this, okay, I'll just let it ride. And hopefully someone else will come along and and pick up the baton where I left off or someone else, God will appoint someone else. I want to engage this and I need to try, but I don't have to kill myself if it's not working in a given situation. Just move on. If, If you and Jesus aren't getting it done, there's scriptures about this. Just shake the dust off your feet, move on. You're not condemning that person. You're just like, okay, that didn't work. I'll try something else. As we continue to worship God, as we come to the table in just a moment, and as we gather again to celebrate um, what God is doing among us, with Wilson in particular, there's so much room to be thankful that we have examples like Wilson of this kind of love, of this kind of devotion, of this kind of obedience, and that in, in your way, whatever that is, in my way, let's be about following the risen Christ into the fields that are white with harvest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.